Would you give my wife a hand? She broke her finger in two places and has been at that keyboard and piano. Last week, someone asked her, says, how are you playing with a broken finger? She says, I've got nine more. And that's just the kind of woman that I'm married to. She's not only good looking like fa-va-va-voo, she is just diligent and stays with it. And honey, I love you. Thank you. Which brings me to a little story I want to tell you. Hopefully this won't get me in the doghouse after all those nice things I just said and your applause. About a year or so ago, Becky got laryngitis. And she couldn't talk. She couldn't argue with me. I had the last word in everything. All she could do was just nod, agree, or narrow her eyes at me. And I got to tell you, for a day, that was really, really nice. I had the last word. But I knew payback would be coming if I wasn't careful. Later on that next day, I got to thinking about how terrible it would be if I never could hear Becky's voice again. I got to thinking about how terrible it would be not to, to hear her talk or laugh or sing and this week, we had a young couple come and visit with us at the house, and um, we were sitting down together in, the, in, in, in front of the fireplace there, and, and the young man said to me, he says, you know, one of my memories of coming over here is, is hearing Becky at the piano and playing and singing. And I thought, I remember that day thinking, what if I could never hear her sing or play again? Something about her not being able to speak, it was fun for a day to have the last word. But you know what, it's also fun to argue and make up. Can you say amen to that? There was a song when I was a teenager called um, Breaking Up is Hard to Do, but Making Up is Something Else, or really it was all about making out. It wasn't really about making up, but it just was, it's those times of life that we remember. The Bible says that God's Word is a lamp to our feet and guides us, and even though it would be unbearable not to hear Becky's voice, what would be more unbearable for me is not to hear the voice of the Lord. You have to judge whether or not, for instance, and I certainly didn't plan this for dramatics, I, I'm always very conscious of the time and people that are watching online and maybe not understanding, but the Bible does tell us to do what we did this morning from time to time if there are people who need a prayer, and this morning as we were singing that last song, it was, I felt the prompting or the voice of the Holy Spirit with a scripture in my heart about praying for people this morning, and I recognize that as being God's guidance for this service, and, and those of you that we prayed for this morning, would you please email me or text me or write me a note? Let me know what God did for you, and as many as I can remember, I will be praying for you this week as well. But we want to know the voice of the Lord. And yet we're forced in a time that we're living in right now that people are questioning the trustworthiness of God's word. It's questioned on the news. It's questioned sometimes in our community. People asking me how I can trust the Bible, how I can trust the word of the Lord. One of the best ways I know to illustrate that is by doing what I just did, is telling the little story that happened about a year ago, that if I couldn't hear Becky's voice, what it would mean to our relationship. You see, where there is relationship, there are words. If you read the Song of Solomon, that very 
moving love story of a man and his wife. You hear the words that are shared. You hear the words between Jesus and his disciples. You, you hear the words of families together because anywhere there's relationship, there's going to be words. Anytime you go to a restaurant and you observe people reading words on their iPhone or looking at digital images on their iPhone and not talking together, you realize you're watching a relationship that is slowly dying because where there are relationships, people learn to communicate. It's why Israel loved the Scriptures so much because they recognized that the Bible was the voice of God to them. So I'm going to ask you to stand with me out of respect for the word of the Lord. And those of you at home, you know, you just follow along with me here. The, the words will be on the screen. For here in the New Testament we read, for we were not making up clever stories when we told you about the powerful coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now notice this. We saw his majestic splendor with our own eyes when he received honor and glory from God the Father. The voice words from the majestic glory of God said to him, this is my dearly son, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. We ourselves heard that voice from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. Because of that experience, we have even greater confidence in the message proclaimed to the, by the prophets so you must pay close attention. That's you and me. We must pay close attention to what they wrote, for their words are like a lamp shining in a dark place. Remember Psalms uh, 119, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path or a guide for my path. You, the words, their words are like a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns. And Christ, the morning star, shines in your hearts. And above all, Above all, you must realize that no prophecy in Scripture ever came from the prophet's own understanding or from human initiative. No, these prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit, and they spoke from God. Father, in the name of Jesus this morning, first I pray, Lord, for those of us who follow after you passionately. Lord, increase our confidence and our trust in the word of the Lord. Father, help us to be able to take a stand and a position and to talk to people about the trustworthiness of the Bible whenever the occasion rises. Lord, help us at the same time to meet the challenges of the day, not with the failing, faddish, passing wisdom of the world, but with the eternal wisdom of God and the love of God. And Father, for those who are here or watching online that have never crossed the line or they're considering giving their hearts to you today, Lord, I pray right now, would you open their eyes, open their ears so that they might hear and understand and receive the word of the Lord this morning, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, and amen. God bless you. You may be seated this morning. Occasionally, many good people, friends of mine that I will meet, will want to have a, <clears throat> a conversation about something. It may be about a current political topic. It may be about a current cultural event. And they'll say something to me like this. You know, there are many good things in the Bible. And anytime you hear somebody say, there are many good things in the Bible, you know that what's going to follow is, but maybe there are some things I just 
can't believe in. I just can't wrap my head around. And sometimes, as if to show their Bible scholars, he'll say, well, for instance, the Bible says you can't eat shrimp and lobster. And so I always say, well, where does it say that at? And they go, well, that's what I've been told. You know, we don't need to be the kind of people that we've been told. We need to be the kind of people like the Bereans who studied the Word of God so they could see if the things that they heard preached to them were true or not. What they're really saying is they don't believe that the Bible is entirely trustworthy. This week, Becky and I watched a new special about AI, artificial intelligence, Part of me is excited about the potentials of artificial intelligence and chat GPT, and part of me is very frightened by chat GPT and artificial intelligence. We listened as a reporter shared and how that his voice was taken. It looked like him. They constantly were putting up disclaimers. This is not me. This is not my voice. But his voice and his image and his pictures that were taken offline from places like Facebook or Instagram had been manipulated where it sounded just like him saying things he would have never said. And again, constantly putting up. This was not me, this is not true, but it sounded like him. It even inflected his voice the way he inflects his voice. It used his emotions. They did another one where they raised the timbre of his voice where it sounded just like him. Towards the end of the show, the main reporter who was doing this new story was like asking a professor who works in this area, says, how are we going to be able to know who is telling the truth anymore? How are we going to be able to distinguish what's true in the news, what's true online? And the professor looked at her and says, we are not, if it continues to go this way, going to be able to distinguish and tell the truth. Friends, we live in a very dangerous time in what has been called the information age. Just a few years ago, we were telling our children that jobs that you worked with your hands would be done away with because we were doing knowledge work, we were doing, moving into the information age, but we had no idea that something like this would come along and that could copy our voices and make us say things that we never wanted to say. So I called someone that I know who works in this area and I told them about what I saw on the newscast and their reply to me was, Pastor, if I wanted to, I could take, there's so much sermon material that you've preached online, there's so much of what you've written online, I could take and make you preach and say something that you categorically disbelieve, and yet it would be so believable that when people listen to it, they thought you had left the faith. We live in a dangerous time. And so the question is, who are you going to trust? What are you going to trust? And that's why I believe passionately this message is so important this morning. We know the Bible is inspired by God. God breathed his word out. That's what the word inspire means, that God breathed out his words. It's authoritative, not because it's printed between two leather covers. It's authoritative because it is the very word of God, what God has said, uniquely inspired and breathed out for him. But the Bible is not a rule book. 
The Bible is not a book that when you go to that you're worried or you're stressed and you treat it like Xanax and you go and find a scripture that will comfort your heart. The Bible is not like a book that you would go to when you want to defend your political position and you pick and choose a scripture that would make it sound like the Bible defends your position. The Bible is the true story. As one of my professors told me years ago at Southeastern, the Bible is the true story of God's amazing revealed love for his people. The Bible is the story of, of our origin, of our creation, of our fall, of God's rescue for us, of God's redemption for us, and of our final destination. It carries authority because it is the Word of God for us. Postmodernity, as I took several classes on this working on my master's, postmodernity teaches us there is no such thing as a story. There are just stories, and that basically we're all odds and ends. We're flotsam floating through the rivers of time, that our lives have no meaning, our stories have no meaning. But as passionate followers of Jesus Christ, we beg to differ. We are the people of God. We read it from the Word of God this morning. We have a story of our origin. We have a story of what went wrong with us. We have a story of the rescue that God has made for us through Jesus Christ. And we have the story of what our ultimate destination and journey is. And it is the God-breathed story that has stood the test of time. Can we give the Lord a hand of praise for that this morning? The Bible is God's story behind the history of the world. And if you miss, now listen, this is important. If you miss the biblical story, you miss your story. If you miss the biblical story, you miss your story. Let me say that again. If you miss the biblical story, you miss your story. If you buy into the story of evolution or if you buy into a story of that somehow or another that gods from other planets came and they made all those beautiful lines in South America and taught us things and that's what we're the product of or that somehow or another you came from the goo to the zoo to you, you miss your story and your life has no meaning. In 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16, the Bible says, all scripture is God-breathed and, listen, is valuable for teaching the truth, convicting of sin, correcting faults, and training in right living. In Psalms 119 and verse 138, the Bible says, your laws are perfect and completely trustworthy. What is he saying? That you can build the story of your family, your life. You can build it upon God's story of amazing grace and love for you. Our family finds its meaning. Our family finds its purpose in the will of God. And God takes this story so seriously. When that individual that I called told me and said, I could make you say anything you wanted to say. Friends, that was frightening to me. That was angering to me. I said, you could really do that? He said, I could do it so effectively that people who know you would suddenly doubt you because it would be your mannerisms, it would be your gestulations, it would be the tone of your voice. Friends, relationships matter more now than ever before. Can you say amen to that? You see, 
What frightened me was that if somebody wanted to do disinformation on you or me or the church or the nation, remember how we went through all of that in the political campaigns just recently with that popular saying that's come along now about fake news? Remember how we went through all of that? Who do you trust? How do you know who's telling the truth? God takes his story so seriously. Look at Revelation chapter 22 and verse 18. God says, I give fair warning to all who hear the words of this prophecy of this book. If you add to the words of this prophecy, God will add to your life the disasters written in this book. If you subtract from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will subtract your part from the tree of life and the holy city that are written in this book. Friends, God takes his story seriously. And so therefore, when my friends say to me, there are many good things in the Bible, I hasten to add to them, the Bible is not just a book. The Bible is the very word of God. And being the word of God, God enables me, God enables you to understand and apply his word to my life. It's not just a story that I read, but he gives me understanding, and he helps me to apply his word. Every watch has a watchmaker, and if you could get the second point up on the screen, that would be helpful this morning. Every watch has a watchmaker. Every building has a builder. Every design has a designer. God designed and created this universe. Every design has a purpose, and you and I were created To have relationship with God, yes, but we're also created to have relationship with one another. Andy, how I treat you is what I think of Jesus. Noah, how I treat you is what I think of Jesus. How I treat the stranger, people I don't know, is what I think of Jesus. Because we were designed to have relationship. That's why it always puzzled me when people could come to church and lift their hands and sing and then and talk about loving Jesus and then treat people hatefully or despitefully. Doesn't the Bible teach us that we are to love one another as God has loved us? Doesn't the Bible give us command after command like that? You see, we were created to have a relationship with God. We were created to have a relationship with one another. But if I am to understand you then I've got to relate to you not just from my brain, but I've got to relate to you from my heart. That's why it's important to have heart and, mi- or heart and mind together. And in the Bible, we know that when the Bible speaks of heart, it's not just talking about the physical pumping, but it's talking about our whole being, our emotions, our will, what drives us. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 10, the Scripture says that His Spirit, the Holy Spirit, finds out everything what is deep in the mind of God. The Holy Spirit searches the heart and mind of God, and he reveals that, that to us. In John chapter 14 and verse 16, Jesus said, I will ask the Father to send you the Holy Spirit who will help you and always be with you. What does he mean, help us? He will help us to understand the word. He will help us to understand the word. He will help us apply the word. Jesus even said in certain situations at certain times, we were not to worry because the Holy Spirit would give us the very right words to say. As a matter of fact, as if to encourage us in this even more, two chapters later in the same conversation or the same teaching, Jesus says in John chapter 16 and verse 13 that the Holy Spirit shows what is true. Say that word with me. True. The Holy Spirit shows what is true and will come and will guide you into the, say it with me, 
full truth. Look at it again. He will guide you. He will show you what is true, and he will guide you into full truth. Friends, we can't lose even in an age when our voices and our photos and our images are manipulated. We stand fast on the word of God. Can we give him another hand of praise for that this morning? Charles Spurgeon said, the Bible in the memory is better than the Bible in a bookcase. Isn't that great? The Bible, memorizing the Bible, storing the word of God in our hearts, being able to recall it, giving the, giving the Holy Spirit something to work with there. I'm going to date myself. There used to be a country called the Soviet Union. Does anybody remember that? I just wanted other old people to identify with me as well this morning. But the Soviet Union had built such a wall of fear around about themselves, they made a horrendous mistake. They deliberately sabotaged their maps. They did away with bridges that were there. They misconstrued highways. They changed the names of cities because they were so worried about spies coming in and spying upon them. So they confused the maps and they confused rivers and they were worried about spy planes and all of this kind of stuff. But somehow or another, those maps that they printed got delivered to the general public and the public and the tourists could no longer get around because in their fear, they had deliberately distorted the truth. The Bible tells us that people will distort the truth because they don't want to submit to God. They will suppress the truth because they don't want to submit to God. Which leads me then to this point that sometimes I enjoy talking to my lost friends about that haven't come to know Christ or from another faith. It's important to know I can trust the Bible historically. I can trust the Bible historically. Years ago when I was working in Argentina, I became friends with a former fascist. This fascist was, there's a lot of fascists and there's a lot of former Nazis that were living in Argentina. And I remember talking to him, and we were having dinner together, and you say, why would you even have dinner with him? Well, that's another story, you know, but I'm willing to meet with anybody to talk to them about Jesus. Can you say amen to that? And so we were talking together, and I'll never will forget when we were talking about history, he goes, winners get to write the history. You can't trust the history because winners wrote it. And I remember laughing, and it offended him, and I didn't mean to laugh. It was just so hilarious. That would be like saying that because the Confederacy lost the war between the states, you can't trust the history of the war between the states. And so we had this interesting conversation. And yet, a few years ago, or a couple of decades ago, when a book came out, and I received an advanced copy of it to review Dan Brown's book, The Da Vinci Code, Suddenly, we were confronted by a best-selling novel that became a tremendous movie with Tom Hanks in it. That's one of the most entertaining movies I ever watched, but it was just full of so many fallacies that were not true, but people took it to account because of one line in the movie that basically said that winners wrote the Bible. 
Nothing could be further from the truth. The people who wrote the Bible were not winning. The people who wrote the Bible were not winning politically. The people who wrote the Bible were not winning culturally. They were not winning socially. They were being hunted down. They were being martyred. They were being persecuted. Everything they wrote put their lives in jeopardy. But for the unknowing mind, listen to these things. We allow ourselves to get fascinated by it. One of the prophecies or one of the sayings in this book and others have said that the New Testament documents about Jesus are false. Look at what Luke wrote in Luke chapter 1 with me, if you would, this morning. This is an important statement. Many people have set out to write accounts about the events that have been fulfilled among us. Now, notice, first of all, there's a lot of people trying to write accounts about the life of Jesus. They used eyewitness reports. Circle that in your outline this morning. They used eyewitness reports circulating among us from the early disciples. Luke says, I've carefully investigated everything from the beginning, and you should circle that, carefully investigated. I've also decided to write an accurate account for you, most honorable Theophilus, so you can be certain of the truth of everything that you were taught. What is Luke saying? Luke is saying there are a lot of people alive who saw Jesus. There are a lot of people alive who saw the resurrected Jesus. And this was written maybe only 15 to 20 years after Jesus' resurrection. Paul wrote again only 15 or 20 years later. Paul wrote this in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 6. After that, Jesus was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. What is he saying? If you don't believe me, go ask them. Did you ever say that as a kid? If you don't believe me, go ask my dad. If you don't believe me, go ask my brother. You see, we know this is the way people react. And so Luke and Paul are both saying, there are eyewitnesses. You can go and you can talk with them. Philippians chapter 2, Paul quotes a hymn there that had been written earlier. Christians, listen, this is important. Christians are already worshiping Jesus as God, crucified, resurrected. Miracles were happening from the very beginning. And what the Da Vinci Code and other books try to depict, and I've read a number of, of some of these, quote, scholarly books, that the Bible wasn't really written until three or 400 years later, and that Constantine was the one that wrote it. Friends, listen to me. That could not be true. Constantine was not a passionate follower of Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, listen to what one historian wrote, and I wish I had it on the screen for you this morning. It's a little long, but listen carefully. I'll try to read it well. What a real historian wrote. Dan Brown says that when the Emperor Constantine declared Jesus divine, Christianity won the religious competition in the Roman Empire by an exercise of power rather than by any attraction it exerted. In actual historical fact, the church had won that competition long before the time it had any power when it was still under sporadic persecution. If a historian were cynical, you would say Constantine chose Christianity because it had already won, and he wanted to back a winner. Constantine chose Christianity because it had already won, and it wanted to back a winner. 
So when people write these things, we need to understand that the miracles were happening, anybody could write a document two or 300 years later, but Paul and Luke are saying there are eyewitnesses still alive and you can go and ask them. Now, now let me be, for some of you that are historians, let me just go a little bit deeper with this. Ancient history was written as hagiographies. We never exposed the flaws. We never talked about the wheat. We only talked about the successes. It was what my fascist friend was saying when he said, and for those of you that that's still bothering, he became a Christian. Can you say amen to that? <laughs> I know, so I can just see it. When I said fascist friend, some of you just like, really? <laughs> Eat with lost people. Okay? There's no way they're going to know unless we share the good news with them. But his cynical statement, winners write it. If you were writing a history back then as someone trying to make it up, you would never say of the hero of the story, let this cup pass from me. It looks cowardly. You would never say of the hero of the story, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? If you were trying to write the story of the early leaders of the church, Peter, James, and John, you wouldn't make them look like jerks. Because when you read the Gospels, they often look like jerks, don't they? Jesus is having to correct them. Jesus is having to challenge them. Jesus is having to rebuke them. They're a work in progress, just like you and I are a work in progress. And I'm so glad that God never gives up on us. Can you say amen this morning? Are you still with me? Are you tracking with me this morning? And would you really, listen, would you have really made women the first evangelist in the Bible who ran and told the disciples that Jesus had risen from the dead? This is what confuses people who want to challenge the authenticity of the Bible. But this becomes an important part. Are you still with me? I don't want you to, it's four minutes after 11, but I'm not done yet, Okay. So if you need to go, you're going to miss out, but you can go, but just stay with me because you're going to really miss it if you don't. I can trust the Bible culturally. And that seems to be, and if we could get that point up there now, therefore I can trust the Bible culturally because that seems to be the thing that is offending people today. Most people are not offended by the fact that I believe Jesus rose from the dead. Most people are not offended by the fact that I believe in miracles. As a matter of fact, people who don't even believe that want me to pray with them. I get calls from them. Most people are not offended by the fact that we believe the Bible historically. It's the cultural traditions of the Bible. But here's what I ask my friends to do, and here's what I ask you to do. When we come against something in the Bible, or when we read something in the Bible that we don't culturally understand, maybe what we should do is ask ourselves, do we really understand what the Bible is saying here and do we really understand the intent of the verse of Scripture we're reading or the passage of Scripture that we're reading? Let me give you an example. In Luke chapter 24 and verse 21, two disciples are walking back to Emmaus. Jesus has been crucified. He's been buried. They're so down, and they said this to Jesus. We had hoped he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. This all happened three days ago. 
They didn't understand that the prophets had prophesied that Jesus would be crucified. They didn't understand Jesus told them he would be crucified, but in their minds, they had such a cultural expectation that God had come to rescue Israel. God had come to rescue the world through Jesus Christ. It was more than just about Israel. It was about every tribe and nature and tongue. When you think about the Old Testament, and people bring this up to me, this happened this week, people, somebody brought this up. Well, what about the book of Genesis? They all had a lot of wives. They could even buy a wife. They could sell a wife. And I go, yeah, that's true, but if you read it that way, you've misunderstood the Bible. Because at every turn, God is undermining polygamy. It was not God's idea. There's another story there, primogenitor, where the first son gets it all. Like my firstborn son believes he should get it all, you know? He just, that's, you know, at every turn of the Bible, God is undermining primogeniture. He preferred Abel over Cain. He preferred uh, Isaac over Ishmael. He preferred the youngest sons of, over the oldest sons of Jacob. Listen to me, my friends. When we read something, we need to face the fact if it offends us, we may not understand it. But if it offends us, maybe we need to expect that since he's God and since he's speaking truth, every single culture is going to be offended by something that's in the Bible. If it's God's word, every single culture is going to be offended by the Bible in some way, shape, or form. Let me give you an example. Here in, sec here, here in the United States and Canada and North America, we kind of believe that... Um, Sex, the Bible's teaching on sex, Americans kind of believe that's a little regressive. However, in the West, in the Middle East, excuse me, the East and the Middle East, people kind of think it's too permissive. My Muslim friends would like to see much stricter things about sex and especially about women than what the Bible teaches. I took a difficult class took a very difficult class as I was preparing for ministry, and it was on the arguments against the Bible. And that class was so challenging that I found myself, as I had to study these things and write about them, I found myself at times, those questions seeping into my spirit. And at that point in my life, I didn't feel adequately equipped to be able to answer those questions. And I remember fasting and praying and going to the chapel on campus and fasting and praying. And one day I, I went and sat down in front of Lake Bonnie in Lakeland, Florida, and I just sat on the grass and I said these words, God, no matter what happens, I choose to believe your word. You are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I can't explain it to you. I'm not even going to try and explain it to you. But suddenly faith and courage arose in my heart. Sometimes you just have to turn pure, raw courage up to God. What if I had let those things so offend my sensibilities that I was studying that I drop kicked the Bible and said I'm no longer going to follow God because I simply misunderstood how the culture I was living in. The lesson is simple, friends. Be patient. Take time. The Holy Spirit will guide you and lead you into all truth. Can we give him a hand of praise for that today? Well, let's look at one verse of Scripture here and one more point, and we'll call it done today. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture 
that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Recognize, readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to you, unlike the culture around you always dragging you down to its level of immaturity. God brings the best out of you and develops well-formed maturity in you. Look at the person sitting beside you this morning and say, God brings the best out of you. John, God brings the best out of you, buddy. God bring, Tim, God brings the best out of you. And I'm so glad he does. My wife is so glad he does because she's seen me at my worst and she's seen me at my best. And she thanks God there's a God. God brings the best out of us. So therefore, I am going to trust the Bible personally, not just historically and culturally, but I'm going to trust the Bible personally. Because like I said earlier, it was fun for a day to have the last word. But when it comes to life, when it comes to, to marriage, when it comes to raising children, when it comes to the church, when it comes to anything, I don't want the last word. I want the word of God. I want the word of God working in me because God's word will not return void. Can we give him another hand of praise for that? It will accomplish what God sent it to do. God's story is a personal story to me. Let's go back to those two disciples on the road to Emmaus. Jesus said, you're so foolish. You're so hard-hearted. You're not believing. And he opened up the scriptures to them, and he taught them about what the purpose of the crucifixion was. And when they got to the house and they asked Jesus to stay and break bread with them and Jesus prayed over the food and he broke bread with them, they said these words in Luke 24, 32. Didn't our hearts burn within us as he taught with us on the road and explained the scriptures to us? Circle that phrase, our hearts burn within us. Do you know what that means to say our hearts? When my heart burns, it means I'm totally consumed with a desire for someone or something. It means there's this uncontrollable desire that I have. Friends, when our hearts are burning for God, our hearts, we want him more than anything else in this world. You see, the Bible, look at me, the Bible will crush you if you don't get this. The Bible will crush you it will wreck you if you don't get this. Look at this next verse of scripture. Jesus talking to those disciples. The Jesus, then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. The Bible is about Jesus. It's not about me. And if you try to make the Bible about you, it'll crush you. But if you'll make the Bible all about Jesus, you will grow, you will soar, you will accomplish things you never dreamed you could accomplish because greater is he that is within you than he that's within the world. Can you say amen? Well, let me give you some growth work. Remember what I said last week? When I give you growth work, do it. It will help you grow. It will help you soar. I'll let you look at the verse later, but let me just give you just several things here. Number one, trust. 
Trust God's word. Number two, delight yourself in the word of the Lord. The reason I told the story about Becky having laryngitis was after one day, I was ready to hear her voice again. I was ready to hear her sing again. Unfortunately, that laryngitis hung around for several days. But when she could speak and sing again, music and light just filled our home. And I've never said again, I want the last word. <laughs> it's fun to argue and make up. Delight yourself in the word of God. Obey the word of God. Steward the word of God. What do you mean by that, pastor? Steward it. Listen to it in your car. Write it on sticky notes and put it on your mirror. Put it on your phone. Read the word before you go to bed at night. Confess the word when you get up in the morning. Share the Bible with your children and your grandchildren. I bought a Bible story book for one of my grandbabies this week. Meditate on the word of the Lord. Memorize it. But then take time to study it. But above all, above all, submit to it. Obey it. And if you come against something that challenges you culturally, take a moment to consider, do I really understand this? And if you will build your life on the Word of God, Jesus says that when storms come, your life will stand. Now, it feels risky to pray those big, hairy, audacious prayers, but you're never safer than when you're standing on the word of the Lord. Would you stand with me this morning and let me pray for you. My Jesus, I love you so much. And like the nation of Israel, Lord, I want to treasure your word and hide it in my heart. For when I read your word this morning, it was the very voice of God to me. Earlier this morning, Lord, as we prayed for people who needed prayer, your Holy Spirit led us into a divine encounter with you. God, programming couldn't have planned that. But you, Lord, in a divine way, touched your people this morning. Now, God, like my friend in Argentina, I pray for anyone listening or here today who hasn't crossed the line yet, that, Lord, they will pray with me right now, considering this is the day that you call them to give their heart to you. And if that's you, would you just pray this prayer with me right now? Just, just be sincere with the Lord. Say, Dear Father, thank you for this message this morning. Thank you that I finally found where my story originates at. And I finally found where I can understand what went wrong with my story. Thank you that I've discovered in Christ the rescue that you have for me at such a great price. And finally, Lord, thank you that I can understand my eternal destiny as I give my heart and life to you today as much as I know how. For it's in Jesus' name I pray.
And if you prayed that, God forgave your sins. God came into your heart. The Holy Spirit is living in you. You've become a new creation in Christ. So now let me pray a prayer of blessing over you. I'm praying if you want to look at this later from Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 20. Look up here if you would. Now, may the God of peace, this is the word of God, may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you need to do his will working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. God bless you. Go in peace this morning. Hallelujah.